I think we have to do a lot of work just to take that shame and stigma away altogether so that we can mm-hmm. all speak about it openly and say, yep, yeah. I got depression, I'm you know, <laughs> one in four, it's yeah. my turn, you know, just so that we can all really speak about it openly and take that shame away because the shame is a debilitating part of it. It's mm. a terrible part of it. Hi there. It's great to have you join us for the Psychological Safety Works podcast, where we bring you concrete strategies and inspiring ideas about how to confidently have important but tough conversations. Do you know businesses require by law to provide mental or psychological safety for their employees as well as physical safety? Are you aware of the risk factors that can lead to mentally unhealthy work environments? Do you feel confident your team is working at their best and being fully productive at work? We're here to help businessmen and women with all this and much more. Listen in to discover how you can build greater psychological safety in your workplace and reap the benefits of reduced business costs and increased employee productivity. And now, here's your host, Sandy Gibbons. I was just talking with a group of people this morning online about what Beyond Blue promotes as the mental health continuum. Um, because a lot of people can think about mental health, I'm okay or I'm not okay. You know, those, those are the two choices, and like you say, that binary kind of thinking. Whereas the mental mm-hmm. health continuum suggests that on one end, we've got the green zone, which is highly functioning, healthy mental state, moving through to yellow, which is, yeah, you know, I'm experiencing some few bumps along the way, moving through to orange which is, wow, this is feeling really challenging for me now. And then red is where we're like really finding it hard to function at all. So I I love that idea about um, encouraging people to think about their mental health along that kind of continuum rather Mm. than I'm okay or I'm not okay. Because the other thing I've found, and I'm interested in your thoughts on this, and especially with what you've noticed in rural areas of Australia is that people almost feel like they have to be really bad, you know, really burnt out before they phone Beyond Blue or before they go to their GP. Um, Mm. What have you noticed in that area? Well, I haven't haven't been able to speak to many rural people this year because of COVID because I haven't been on tour um, in those areas and my, my Doris Day tour has been... Uh, which is a regional tour, has been pushed into next year. So next year I'll be out on the road a lot, speaking to a lot of people in different rural and remote areas, and I'm looking forward to that, especially with this new ambassador role. Mm. Um, But I think, you know, the stoicism is something that um, rural people have to have because of the way they, you know, live on the land, they're in... in, uh, isolated areas sometimes um they have a lack of um in some income security due to drought and different challenges on the land Mm. there's a whole lot of uncertainty that they have to deal with um, over you know not just the last couple of years with the drought and COVID and the bushfires but decades of uncertainty Mm. generations of uncertainty so there's a lot of trauma there that they go through and I think they have to be stoic in order to actually live that life. 
Mm. Uh, but you can be too strong for too long, as yeah. I've learned. And I think um, that happens to a lot of rural people where they look after themselves and then they, they collapse. Yeah. Um, they just work until they can't, can't work anymore mm. um, with their mental health. So I think, yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to talking about this stuff, talking about my experience um, with my being too stoic and mm. hoping that that opens up the conversation to them um, yeah. and also, you know, the shame that comes with it. They're very private. I'm generalising here, but, you know, mm. often country people are, are very private people. You know, they're proud people. So it's very difficult for, for them to talk about mental health, really. And I think a, another layer of that challenge in, in the country areas is that a lot of these small communities, everybody knows everybody. You know, everybody knows yeah. if, if, if Joe Bloggs sneezes, you know, two paddocks over yeah. sort of thing. And people can be really worried about, well, gee, if I do go to the GP, is word going to get around the town that I'm crazy or, or something yeah. and I, I know in the little bit of work I've done in regional rural Victoria and New South Wales that was something that people spoke to me a lot about is that I don't yeah. want everybody to know and I you know I emphasize well you're a health professional will treat everything you say in confidence um oh but yeah, still people what if they see me coming out of the GP's office you know it's they, they, they feel like they can't have the anonymity that maybe people in the big city might have. Yeah, well, that's right. And that, look, that's what I love about the, the ramp coordinators is they are based in these different areas. And I think, um, you know, people in those particular areas might feel more comfortable talking to someone they know and they could trust um to to get some help as well rather than talking to a stranger you know yeah but yeah i know what you mean i think that that is a an issue but i think we have to do a lot of work just to take that shame and stigma away altogether so that we can mm -hmm. all speak about it openly and say yep yeah. i got depression i'm you know <laughs> one in four it's yeah. my turn you know just so that we can all really speak about it openly and take that shame away because the shame is a debilitating part of it. It's mm. a terrible part of it. Yeah. One, one of the things, Melinda, that I talk to people about too is I, I do my best to draw as many analogies between physical health and well-being and mental health and well-being. Mm. And I'll say to people, you know, if we, if we just hold that idea of the shame for a moment on the side there, if you had a serious pain in your side or in your gut um, or, you know, you were having trouble swallowing or, you know, pick any kind of mental, sorry, physical condition, mm. you know, yes, you might put up with it, you know, for a couple of days or what, but there would be a point in time when you go, nah, this isn't going away. I, I need to go get help. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't blink an eye. You know, you wouldn't mm. hesitate to go in and say to your GP, oh, I've got this massive pain in my side, you know. Um, and we'd want to get onto it quickly because the quicker we do, the the less worse it will get, if that makes sense. Um, plus the mm. quicker we can get better. And it's exactly, I think, exactly I think the same can, with mental health, you know. It is. And I, I think if we can get the message out there that what goes along with mental 
health, what goes along with depression is shame, feelings of defectiveness, feelings of guilt, um, you know, like how dare I have depression? There's a lot of people out there worse off than me. Why have I got no. this? You know, yeah. that, that stuff, um, sadness, hopelessness. There's all of these different emotions that go along with depression. They're like symptoms of it. Mm. If we can get out the symptoms, then yeah. people know that when they start to feel shame, defectiveness, guilt, mm. all of those things, they'll go, oh, I'm feeling all of those things. And they, don't, they won't just think it's them and they're, yeah. they're just, you know, they'll un- start to understand that they're the symptoms of depression, just like a swollen ankle might be to a broken ankle or yeah. pain down your arm might be for a heart attack. Um, mm. and, and that was something I had to learn because even though my partner Mark had had depression for a couple of years before I met him, for 14 years he's had it and he's been on medication all that time and I've lived mm. with him all that time and been empathetic to his depression and, you know, used to say, go and, have, go and curl up in the fetal position if you need to, darling. If you're down, just go to bed, you know, and I'd be empathetic. I still didn't understand it because it hadn't happened to me. Mm. So when it happened to me, I didn't even realise it was depression. I just mm. thought I knew I had adrenal fatigue. I just thought I was exhausted and I am an emotional person anyway. I'm a songwriter. I'm an artist, so <laughs> I am emotional. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm, not, I'm no stranger to sadness and grief um, and struggle. So I just mm. thought, you know, I'm exhausted and I'm, a bit emotional i mean i didn't realize i had major depressive disorder until a mm. year later when it came back again mm. so i mean and i'm pretty aware i'm i read up on the stuff and everything but i didn't really understand it until i had it mm. and it might actually be um some part of our subconscious like i know for me this year there there was probably a, a part of my subconscious that was saying no it, look everybody's feeling bad because it's covid you know, um, yeah. so dismissing our own symptoms, even when we start to recognize them. One of the things I was asked, because my first experience of depression was postnatal depression some mm. 26 years ago. And um, the day the penny dropped for me, like I knew I wasn't sleeping well. I knew I didn't feel right, but I just thought, oh, this is, this is motherhood, you know. And um, I can't even quite remember whether it was the maternal and child health nurse or my GP or who it was said to me, it was a health professional of some sort, said, Sandy, in the past two weeks, have you experienced any joy, happiness or enjoyment from activities that normally would give you these feelings? And I went, no. Like the answer, was, was, I didn't even have to think it through. Like I'm just mm. going, no. And that's when I went, oh, okay. You know, m- maybe this is a lot more than just, trying to come to terms with new motherhood mm, yeah. yeah so That's it's right. a it's a, so let's i want to talk about your new website um be gentle on yourself.com.au and i'll make note of that in the show notes for this podcast um but what's made me think of that right now is i know on there you mention some of the symptoms that you've experienced uh, some of the things that have helped you uh in not only recovering but staying well Um, and on that site you've also got this very bold very courageous insightful 10-minute video 
of yourself talking about the events of the last couple of years, um, yeah. which I highly recommend people go and, and watch. It's 10 minutes and it's eye-opening and it's affirming for anyone who might be feeling a bit unwell. Um, what, what can you tell us about, what are some of the things in that video that you'd like to highlight in this podcast for people? Oh, look, the contributing factors for me were <clears throat> 20 years of, of workaholism, um, I would say, high, ridiculously high standards that nobody could meet. And when I didn't meet them, I'd beat myself up about it. So a very strong critical inner voice, beating myself up all the time. Um, I would never speak to a friend the way I you know, mm. I wouldn't speak to anybody the way I speak to myself. <laughs> um, yeah, look, I think 20 years of workaholism, that, that's the big one. Um, unrelenting standards, perfectionism, um, you know, setting, stand, setting, setting goals for myself that there was no way I was ever going to be able to meet them um, and then beating myself up if I didn't. I've got a dreadfully critical inner voice that tells me I'm not good enough all the time. So um, that's not easy to live with for a lifetime. Wow. Um, I, you know, leading up to the first bout of depression, I was having hardly any sleep. I had my little boy at 41. He didn't sleep through till he was three and a half. And oh, I wow. breastfed him on demand for nearly five years. So um, he loved his booby, Sandy. <laughs> <laughs> and um, remind him of all that in the future when he becomes a teenager. Say, hey, I Sullivan, you know what? <laughs> I will. Um, so I was up, you know, three times a night for three and a half years, um, you know, breastfeeding him back to sleep and doing all that sort of stuff whilst I was doing eight shows a week with my Doris Day show and managing my own career and. Uh, hardly any sleep I don't know how I did it so my body was completely depleted of all of its you know goodness um, and that was a massive contributing factor having a being a, a geriatric mum as they call it oh I know yeah I remember being called that myself yeah <laughs> yeah um, what else what else caused it if, well um, if I we go back to your incredibly high standards for yourself just to give people yeah. an understanding of how high these standards were i know that you had two sold out concerts at the sydney opera house yeah i think i've had more than that but um well, yes you probably have there you now, go but, um, well i'd better bloody have more than that <laughs> otherwise i cannot live with myself well okay you know what, what number should we go for melinda 25 50 <laughs> what is enough what is enough what am i going to be able to be happy with yeah. Um, yeah, well, you know, it's, it's just not only do I, ha you know, I aspire to doing things incredibly well when I do a performance, but I, mm. you know, uh, that's sort of the ultimate performing at the opera house, performing at big concert mm. halls with big orchestras and stuff like that, which I've been doing a lot of in the last 10 years with my Doris Day show. Um, mm. But yeah, once you've done that and you've hit that goal, you've got to keep doing it. It's, it's the same as that athlete. You've got to keep doing mm. it. If you mm. do anything less, you consider it a failure. Yeah. Um, and that's you, what I meant by incredible or crap. Yeah, yeah. We, but now you've adjusted your sales, haven't you? You've realised that, well, just because I did X number of sold-out concerts, 
it in the opera house, for example, yeah, doesn't mean I have to do twice that number again. Like, how do you set goals and, if you like, standards for yourself now? Well, I've let go. I've done a lot of work on that this year of just letting go of the outcome, you wow. know, and just saying, look, all I can do is my best and that's enough. Um, and it doesn't matter if I don't have a number one album. It doesn't matter if I don't sell out the opera house. Um, the most important thing is my health. And yes, I want to keep creating and keep doing shows and I, I want to keep having an income from music. I've, I've always, I've never had a day job. I'm so lucky. I've always earned my living as an artist and a singer my whole life. So I, I want to keep doing that. But I'm just learning to let go of the outcome and not have that matter so much. I'm going to ask you a really tricky question, so I apologise in advance. How do you let go of the outcome? Like any, any tips on how you do that? Well, I think... Um, I think it's probably in line with your values mm -hmm. um, if you're living, you know, and I've been doing some work on my values lately and making sure that I'm living in line with them. Mm. Um, and that I guess making other things matter rather than the success matter. So it's, you know, this year I put out a few songs, important songs that will help people and, um, will help me as well but I just wanted to I just want to put things out in the world at the moment I don't really care about where they land or what comes of them it's it's more for um more of a humanitarian reason mm. than than um you know career success I suppose yeah. so I, I want to keep doing that mm. and I've always looked inward and I've always written songs about different crises and different things that I've gone through in my life. That's what country music singers do, mm. singer-songwriters do. We've, well, they we've always tell some... a story, country music songs, you know. It, I, love, I love that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and we draw from real, our real-life experiences. So mm. I'm going to keep doing that. But I'm, I'm just not going to be – I've decided I just – my body won't allow me to be so obsessed about um, success and achieving and workaholism anymore. I just, I just can't do it. it it's hard because it's, it is an addiction for me. Yeah. It's really hard, you yeah. know. I, um, I, I think that was a really great insight you shared, though. I think the phrase you used was, um, I make other things important now. And, and sounded to Yeah, me make like, other things matter. Matter, yeah. Other things matter perhaps even more than a particular measure of success or a particular quantifiable outcome or something. That's a, that's a really nice tip. Um, and I also know that you've said that you have found that you've been grateful for COVID. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, of course, that, I wouldn't I wish COVID <laughs> on anybody and, you know, what's happening in America at the moment is absolutely mm mortifying that the death toll it's just 
terrible. So I don't, I'm not glad that we've had COVID. Yeah, sorry, I didn't want uh, to just go with it, but in terms of yeah. you have found the positive side for you. What? Yeah. Talk, talk to us good a bit about things, that. Good things have come out of it, I think, for a lot of people as well as negatives. You know, um, I think, you know, obviously working from home, people having to adapt and, um, you know, workplaces having to, have their eyes open and adapt and understand that people can work from home. They don't have to be working long hours at the office all the time to be productive. Um, for me personally, it's allowed me to stop traveling every weekend no. and be home with my little boy all year from March. I haven't done any gigs since March and uh, I've, I've recorded and I've released music, but um, I haven't had to go on stage and, go traveling or anything and it's been wonderful to have that time at home and just um be able to take the time to care for myself because i would never it was a, a, an imposed break it was a forced yeah. break i wouldn't have given this to myself i would have been too guilty yes that yeah so um it's been really wonderful to stop to have to stop and then go oh I don't think I want to work that hard anymore the way I used to work. I just don't want to do it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's been a real, a real blessing in a lot of ways. Yeah. So to be able to kind of step back from that treadmill, that look, all of us end up on a treadmill in our lives often, but it's when we get off that treadmill that we can start to take a breath, assess and, and make some choices about mm. how we're living our life and, and where we're and putting our energies get some perspective so that's it for this episode of psychological safety works with sandy Givens, which we trust you found valuable naturally we'd love you to share this with your colleagues and friends and to access the show notes helpful resources and subscribe to this podcast to continue to build a psychologically safe workplace you can find us at psychologicalsafetyworks.com This Psychological Safety Works podcast is proudly part of the Experts on Air podcast network. Until next time, look after yourselves and each other.